Thank you, God, for humbling yourself to be in this place, to, to want to live in our lives, to have your ear always listening, to talk to us, to instruct us, to, to share things, to help us know you. It's really all about a relationship with you, this prayer and revival thing. So help us today. Just give us exactly what you want and help Janet and I as we share from our hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Early in my ministry, I went to a minister's meeting in Colorado up at Glacier View Ranch. It's a beautiful lodge in the mountains, if you haven't been there. And Janet wasn't able to be with me. And I was staying in a room, had two beds in it. And in the other bed in the room was the educational superintendent for the conference, Bob Rice. And in the middle of the night, I had a dream, and I was so sure it was really happening. Have you had a dream like that before? It was virtual reality. And I dreamt in my dream that it was Janet in the other bed, not Bob. Yeah. And I love Janet, and I like to be close to her. I was glad she was there, but she wasn't. But I got up in the night, and I began to sleepwalk across the room towards poor Bob, thinking it was my wife Janet. And so I ended up in the darkness of the night, standing over Bob like this, he was asleep, I was asleep, and then I, I loved Janet so much I began to crawl in bed with Bob. <laughs> and that woke him up. <laughs> and it woke me up. Um, and it was one of my most embarrassing moments in life. And Bob, he's got a great sense of humor. He said, Jerry, I won't tell a soul. And I said, no, no, Bob. I'm going to tell everybody at breakfast before you get a chance to tell it your way. And that's what I did. I told all the pastors at breakfast about my sleepwalking experience. And I share that with you for a reason. Um, I look back over my life and I realize how often I thought I was awake when really I was asleep. Do you hear me? God, it is so merciful. All my life, he's continued to wake me up. Even this weekend, I need a good wake-up call. Do you? He doesn't give up on me. He doesn't turn for me. He just keeps trying to wake me up. I can remember being a church leader, chairing meetings in this conference, and sometimes I'd hear the still small voice saying, Jerry, you're becoming a bureaucrat. You're going to sleep. Wake up. See with my eyes. See my vision. See people like, like I love them. That's what I need. That's what you need. And what we need in the church, I believe with all my heart, is what happened just before Pentecost 1. Acts chapter 2, the, the upper room experience. No longer worried about who's going to be greatest in the church like they were on the way to Gethsemane with Jesus. No, we're, we're just interested in praising him, studying his word, praying much, confessing anything between us so that we're really of one accord, confessing all our sins before Jesus, and then praying about mission, thinking about the finishing the mission. That's, that's what the church needs today, not to be arguing over little things and... and complaining over this or that, or trying to step on somebody else to get some position in the local church or the conference or wherever. Help us, God. Take us where we need to be. Uh, one guy said the, the church today, well, what he, what he said to begin with is if we, if we looked at the apostles, we'd see they prayed for ten, 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, and thousands were converted. Today we tend to pray for 10 minutes, <laughs> preacher, minister for 10 days, and we don't get much. Another guy said, well, the church today is about 95% of what we do would continue on if the Holy Spirit wasn't with us, and we might not even notice. But in the book of Acts, 
95% of what they did would have stopped immediately if the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Read through the book of Acts again. Over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And there's a process in Acts that goes on. They have a crisis. You know, they were in the upper room. They had a crisis. Jesus had risen. They were supposed to go to the whole world, but there was persecution. It was a tough time. They prayed much. And the next thing that happens, the Holy Spirit shows up, right? And then the next thing in the passage that happens over and over again is the Word of God is preached powerfully. And then the church grows dramatically, and there's more persecution. Um, One person said, if we don't have persecution, maybe it's because we're not doing anything that scares the devil. So he just lets us go on in our own strength. And what we do in our own strength won't last for eternity. Only those things bathed with prayer, bathed with the Holy Spirit. So I want to share with you one of my first awakenings. Um, I was a teenager. Well, started earlier than that. I was born <laughs> into a preacher's home. My dad was a, a farmer, who Methodist, who'd become a, an Adventist at about 38 or 9. And uh, just then, I was born. My mother almost committed suicide. She was 40 when I was born. And didn't think she should be having babies, but I'm glad she didn't. <laughs> and uh, anyway, my dad had just come to some meetings to run the projector for an evangelist and got hooked into the message and the truth and became an Adventist. And he became a literature evangelist leader. So I grew up in a home of a literature evangelist leader and a teacher in our Adventist schools. I was a worker's kid, blue bread from the beginning. And uh, <clears throat> so you'd think that I, everything was perfect for me, right? <laughs> but the fact is, growing up, I somehow didn't get to know Jesus. You know, my dad was a very grace-oriented guy, but he was on the road all the time, helping literature evangelists out in the field. He was gone a lot. Mom was at home with me, and I, I love my mother. I'm going to see her on the resurrection morning, by God's grace. She uh, was there. But at that time, she really didn't believe she was saved. She didn't believe she had assurance of salvation. She wasn't good enough. She wasn't going to make it. She knew she was a sinner. How many know you're a sinner this morning? <laughs> yeah. Don't let that discourage you. That just pushes you to Jesus, and he gives you cleansing, he gives you grace, he covers you. That's what we believe, that assurance that Jesus tried to give his disciples in the upper room. He said, you know, don't be so down. Sure, you don't know what's going on, but I am coming back to get you. And when I do, we're going to be together forever. That's a promise from Jesus. He's going to come and get you. He'll finish the work he's begun in you. But um, in my life, mom could only talk about behavior, really. You know, you know the rules, Jerry. You know what you should be doing. One time she told me, you, you know what you ought to be doing, Jerry. You could be saved. Your name could come up in the judgment any time, and you could be lost if you don't start behaving, because I was getting more rebellious. And, but she said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not good enough. But you can make it. Now, do you think that's the way we're going to get our kids there? <laughs> we have to have the joy and assurance of salvation ourselves. We're going to win anybody else, don't we? We have to believe that God can save us and have the joy of a family that's praising Him for what He's done for us. That's what we need. Uh, if we aren't sure, it's hard to have somebody else want to join, you know, come and maybe you'll be saved. <laughs> no, God says he will save to the uttermost all who come to the Father by him. Praise the Lord for that. Anyway, and I won't bore you with a lot of how bad Jerry was, but I did become more and more rebellious. I didn't want that. I was going to steal all my fun, take all my adventure away, and uh, I just didn't want the church and all the rules and everything. So by the time I was in seventh grade, I was shoplifting a lot and getting in trouble, beating up little kids. And just, you can't believe I was such a guy, could you? But anyway, time I got in academy, it got worse. We came to Denver and ended up getting with kids that were doing a lot of drinking and drugs and partying. And um, I just didn't want any of the church stuff at all. And so anyway, about that time, my mother began to really pray for me. I know she's prayed for me all her life, Dad. 
and they got everybody they could praying for me because they knew they were losing their boy. I got kicked out of Mile High Academy in Denver, got kicked out of Campion Academy, got kicked out of Newbury Park for a short time. So every time, though, I got kicked out of an Adventist school, my folks said, they really believe in education. I said, now, which Adventist school do you want to go to next? And I thank God for parents that kept me in a Christian culture, even though things weren't perfect. But I did want out. I just wanted out from all the rules and everything. And by the time I got to college age, I... They made me go one year to one of the Adventist colleges, so I went to Union College. But I stayed as far away as I could. And if my sister hadn't lived in the community, I'd have gotten kicked out there too. But we just didn't want anything but partying and drugs and that kind of stuff. But then I started State College in Denver and began to be totally free. I was living with all the backslidden Adventist kids I'd been running around with. And we had a good job down at Gates & Sons. We had money coming in. I was planning to be an attorney and uh, doing pre-law in school had you know, money to buy drugs and do things, and things uh, were free. I could free to do what I wanted to do. But I thank God. I thank God for parents who prayed. And I believe with all my heart standing here this morning that the reason I have the privilege to be here and be a leader in the church is because people prayed so much for me. My dad had all the literature evangelists praying for me. I've heard Student literature evangelists that have grown up now say, you know, your dad had a carload of us out there in the prairies, and we'd be canvassing, and he'd pull the car over and say, I don't know, just would you pray with me for my boy Jerry? I don't know how he's going to make it. And they'd pray, and I thank God. They prayed me miserable. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, More and more, we became more and more selfish. And in this drug experiences and everything, we were just, uh, you know, so selfish, and so we didn't like our friends. They were cheating us in drug deals, and things began to really fall apart. And a girl I'd been living with, we decided not to live together anymore, and you know, just a lot of relationships breaking apart. And I thank God for that was happening. Um, and God, at the same time, um, brought a lot of things in my life. As I look back now, how He worked in my life, um, He had eventually um, He had a guy named Randy who I'd gone to elementary school with in Lincoln, who'd come to Jesus. He'd come back to church, and uh, he gave me his simple little witness, <laughs> one druggie to another. He said, Jerry, I've, I've found Jesus. Come back to church. Come with me, you know. Didn't do it. And, but there were other things along the way, too. My mother, bless her heart, she tried everything she could. She just didn't really get what would get me, but <laughs> she got me a dog when I was about 16, 17 year old. So thought I'd come back home for a puppy. Um, then she paid me to go to an evangelistic meeting. She said, I'll give you this amount of money if you'll come to this one evangelistic meeting down at Fitz Auditorium. So I went to that evangelistic meeting just for the money. But you know, I was sitting in that meeting, and I remember that night that on the screen was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I'd never been touched by it before, but for some reason I felt a conviction in my heart. Didn't do anything, didn't sign a call card, didn't do nothing, but God was working and uh, just kept working like that. And so, after a really bad drug trip one night, we'd gotten into heavier drugs. We were stealing cocaine and selling on the back streets of Boulder. We were about ready to start using needles because we wanted a little more high. You know how that goes. And, uh, but right at that moment, God stepped in. And we were at a, um, you know, had a really bad psychedelic drug trip one day. We were sitting in our apartment as we were coming down off of that number of hours of trip. And, the girl and I looked at each other and we said, why are we so miserable? <laughs> you know, why are we so miserable? 
And um, we started thinking back about what it was in our life that had made us happy, what we were looking for. And we realized that everybody who had loved us along the way, no matter how we treated them, were Adventist Christians. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. The little lady that brought us food at the apartment, the uh, Bible worker that my dad sent to try to get me, he was an ex-alcoholic, wild guy, came up to our door and we weren't nice to him. We slammed the door in his face and uh, he was mad, he was angry, he was red-haired, had a hot temper. He said he was going down the steps. He said, God, I don't care. Let him go to hell. <laughs> but uh, God got a hold of him, he said, and made him come back up the stairs. And he put his card in my bib overall pockets and he said, someday you're going to need me, buddy. When you do, you give me a call. So anyways, we sat there that evening talking about why we were so unhappy and what were we looking for. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit was there. He was the evangelist. And I share this with you because I know a lot of you got loved ones and you've been praying for them a long time. And what I share this morning, I just want to give you some courage, hopefully, with that. God works mightily. He'll never force anybody to be saved, but he sure can make them miserable. <laughs> uh, my drug trips, I was worried about my health and why. You know, my friend said, hey, just see what's next. So don't worry so much, Jerry. My heart and stuff, I was worried about that. But God was working in my heart. So that night we said, you know, maybe what we're looking for is love. And that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? Looking for love. And you and I can give that. Jesus can give it through us so we can win other people. But anyway, we did decide, we realized from our training, training won't depart from you, that, that God is love. And we decided that night to um, give Jesus a chance. And the guy said, we called him at 3 in the morning. said, okay, we're ready, Dan. <laughs> Come and study with us. So he started coming and studying the Bible um, with four of us from that group. And I want to tell you another principle that I discovered all the way along the way. The next morning at my apartment, showed up a guy named Charlie Grable. I'd known him since elementary. He's the worst guy I knew. He was running a porn thing in Denver. And he showed up that next morning with a six-pack of beer. He'd never been to my apartment before, but he just showed up to just kill some time just to, to be together. Huh? Do you think he just came? No. Satan will do anything to draw us back, won't he? When we're pulled for more revival, when we're pulled to, to really grow in the Lord or come back to him if we've been away, uh, he will send somebody to try to pull us back. He'll get us thinking about what would, what would stop it. And Charlie sat in, and he, started, he heard what we decided to do, and he started laughing at me. And uh, he said, man, you're just going back to your mama's religion. Boy, the devil knew how to get me. My mother was not where I wanted to head. He said, you know, the earth is just cyclical. It starts out simple, gets more complex, back to simple. He said, Jerry, you're just a victim of your mommy's indoctrination. Wow. So that shook me, but I decided I was going to go ahead anyway. Randy had invited me to come to his church that first Sabbath, and so we decided to go there. I remember getting in my new little Datsun. I bought a little red Datsun, big stereo system in there, you know, because of the rock music we loved. And driving down the highway, I started thinking about all the things you've got to give up if you become a Christian. Huh? <laughs> the music, the stereo, I mean, heavy drinking, all this stuff. Man, I can't do this. <laughs> it's not going to work. I about gave up then. God did everything he could to pull me back that first few weeks. And uh, I have to tell you, I went to church with that guy, and the church was awful. <laughs> it was cold, and the music was, I hated it, and, you know, just, but God kept us going. You know, he kept us going through all that. So I don't know where you're at today, or where your loved ones are at, your kids or grandkids. But don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus loves us so much. I love Jeremiah 31.3. We looked at 33.3, but 31.3 says, 
I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. He's always drawing us. He's drawing our kids right now as we prayed this morning in Sabbath school for them. Uh, he's working in their lives to come back. And anyway, they, Dan took us. He was a wild, crazy guy. He'd, he'd been an alcoholic. He still was, but I mean, he'd come out of it. A wild driver. <laughs> he used to drive, scare us to death as we drove. He's taken us to a little church, uh, Denver West Church, and they were on fire with love. He was associate pastor there and then. And they just drew us in. I got a picture in my Bible today of when I was baptized six months later, long hair and beard and stuff. We were coming out of the rock scene. They didn't care. They just drew us in and loved us. I, I know you do that here. You can't get past that front door without John hugging you, right? Uh, hug people when they come to church. Do it. Um, let them know how much you love them. And we, we love that group. And if we weren't there for church or Friday night Bible study group, they were on the phone. Where were you? We missed you. We missed you. So six months later, my dad was in the baptistry, tears running down his face, baptizing four of us. And uh, it began a journey for me. I thank God for that. I praise him for what he did in my life. And I look back on where I could have been, where I was headed. A friend of mine, uh, Treasure's son, was killed in a drug deal at Estes Park. About that time, uh, we were in a lot of dangerous situations and could have lost it all. But God has saved me. Keep praying for me. I want to make it all the way. Amen. I don't want to drown in shallow water just about to the shore. How about you? And so anyway, I could share more. I went to Andrews that fall. I felt called to ministry, and um, my dad and the Bible worker made it possible I could go, and so I went, walked on the campus, and God did something really good for me. Uh, first conversation I had on the sidewalk, I'd cut my hair, looked more like a preacher, but anyway, the first conversation I had was with the guy who was in charge of all the Christian ministries that year. And they were planning, they'd had a revival at Andrews the year before, and they were planning to send out teams of students to hold evangelistic meetings the next spring. And they were going to have, you know, 12, 15 teams meeting during the week, praising, praying, just like an upper room, and then going out to a local church every Sabbath and eventually holding evangelistic meetings. He asked me if I would coordinate all of those teams. Now, do you think I knew how to do that? (laughs) Just out of drugs, just out of taking cocaine, and God gave me a chance to be involved. That's another thing our kids really need. I believe if I'd have gotten involved, my folks were very involved in mission, but never took me on a mission trip, never got me involved myself in mission. So I led. <laughs> I led where I could lead. and was proud of it. But, you know, we need to get our kids involved for Jesus and find that adventure is there, not somewhere else. Well, just another thing I want to share with you before Janet comes in a minute. Um, I think Zach shared a story with you recently, but I want to share it again because it's very precious to me. I um, have an older sister and an older brother. My sister was 14 years older. My brother was seven years older. Some said it was a seven-year itch, my mom. I don't know, but anyway, we had three kids, and my sister helped raise me. My brother was older than I was. I just did his memorial service on December 1, so I'm a little emotional about that yet. Um, Alan, my brother, and this story... uh, I think Zach shared with you, but it's about a Sabbath morning. I woke up and was um, very anxious as a young conference president. Uh, I had big troubles financially. Tithe was dropping. Economy was bad. Uh, everything seemed to be going wrong. People were and fighting in the churches. and Just everything seemed black to me. I woke up very early in the morning. I was tossing and turning in bed. And Janet uh, woke up too, and she said... Um, What's going on? And I said, oh, I'm just really anxious, really worried. I was sure everybody's going to blame me, you know. We're going to have to cut a bunch of pastors in the next budget. You know how it goes. 
Anyway, she said, well, let's pray. So we started praying, claiming promises. And that's a wonderful prayer partner to have. You can even do that before you get out of bed. It's a great thing. And I began to feel better. Got up. Tyson was sick with a flu that morning, Sabbath morning. So everything was going wrong. He ended up on the bathroom floor. I don't need to describe the details. But Zach, um, precious Zach, I don't know how old he was then, but young, uh, he started saying, Daddy, let's have worship. <laughs> let's have worship. Family worship. Boy, that's precious, isn't it? Family worship. And um, I said, okay, okay, son. He didn't usually remind us ever in the morning, but at night sometimes he did about worship, but we tried to have worship. So I went to the bookcase and I pulled out the junior devotional book for that year. But as I thought about it, it was written more for youth than Zach's age. He was younger than that. And so I, I took the one from the year before and I turned to the date. It was March 17. And I'm going to just read you a little bit of that. It's called The Young Samaritan. It says, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock. On a Sunday afternoon in Parkersburg, West Virginia, Alan and his father walked into the city post office. Alan saw a stooped old man trying to mail a letter. Noticing that the man was almost blind, the boy opened the letter slot. As they drove off, Alan watched the old man tapping the street with his cane. Daddy, why don't we pick up that man? He could be hit by a car or something. We could take him home. Where are you going, sir? asked the father. Nowhere, really, he said. I was thinking that maybe if I walked down to the bridge and jumped into the river, it would settle my troubles once and for all. <laughs> Jump in the river? You can't do that, Alan cried. No, suicide's not the best way out, the father said. God will help you to find new meaning in your life if you'll let him. The stranger talked, telling about the mistakes he'd made and how his wife had just ordered him out of the house that day for his drinking. Alan prodded his dad. Tell him about Bible readings, Dad. Sell him a book. I'll give him a book. Dad obeyed. He said, you know, this book could help you find your way out of your problems. Pray and God will help you. Gladly, the old man took the book. He said, you know, when I was a boy, I lived in a town where most of the people were seven-day Advents. <laughs> said, I wish I could be back with those people again and do right. He says, well, I'm an Adventist, and I know an Adventist lady here would be happy to give you room and board. I'll drive you over there right now. Soon the old man was comfortably settled in a nice bedroom. Invite him to Sabbath school and church, pleaded Alan. To Alan's delight, Mr. Prunty came to church. He read in the book. He requested Bible studies. The man had once been a loved and respected state senator in West Virginia. His mistakes, especially his liquor problem, had made his family, including a famous doctor brother, disown him. But God changed this man. After a few months, he was baptized. Before he died, he said to Alan, Remember, someday I'm going to see you in heaven. Junior boy had helped win a soul for Jesus. You know, that's a beautiful little story. But for our family, not knowing it was written in any book anywhere in the world, to take it off the shelf from the previous March 17 and read it as a family worship was a message from Jesus. He was saying, Jerry, I know you. I know your brother. I know your dad. I know ex-Senator Prunty that was saved by Alan. And... I didn't need anything more that Sabbath. He didn't tell me how to fix the budget. He didn't tell me how the problems were going to be solved, but I went and preached with power because Jesus is alive. Hope you're spending time with him. I hope you're hearing him speak to you that directly. He'll do it. You know, just keep coming to him with the word and all that. God will bless. Is Zach telling me to stop? No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, God is so good. And, and the reason I bring that up now is because ex-Senator Prunty was a story about Alan when he was young. Alan had a really up-and-down wild life. 
Uh, he was seven years older than me. First thing I knew was wildness. And Dad was supposed to preach at Union College Church one Sabbath morning. The cops showed up to take Alan away to jail. I mean, that was, that was their two sons. Daughter wasn't much better. They kept praying. They kept praying. Alan uh, did come to the church for a little while in his early 30s, but he, he was very wild his years with his first marriage. He uh, <clears throat> got very wealthy doing health care facility deals uh, with another guy and had lots of money, blew most of that. Then he, he uh, got in trouble with his marriage and he had a terrible head-on accident with a semi uh, on his way from Colorado Springs to Denver on a two-lane road. Should have been killed. If you see the car, you say that guy was killed for sure. But some man came and held his head up in the, in the wreck at the very last moment. And when the help came, that man disappeared. So we don't know what, but Alan survived. Legs were crushed. He had a lot of things, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in his life. His ankles never worked right. He got to be about 350 pounds, 400 pounds. He was, never cared about his health or anything. But he was a leader in many ways. And so anyway, uh, we just kept praying for Alan, kept praying for Alan. For decades, we prayed for Alan. He always had a little thing in his heart about God. If he needed something or his kids, he'd say, pray for me. But he didn't go to church. You know, he didn't need it. So anyway, he finally uh, became the director of Porter Place Retirement Center right next to Porter Hospital in Denver. And my mom, her last 12 years, they didn't have any money, and he was a director. She lived in his apartment, so it turned out great for mom. And their broken relationship got healed. There's lots of things I could tell you about his up-and-down relationship. But the thing I really want to tell you is that in 2010, Zach and Leah were at Andrews. They taking the seminary. They got a burden. Dwight called for 40 days of prayer. They, they put Alan as one of their five to seven people you pray especially for in a 40 days of prayer. I felt especially intense right then and began to pray for him too. He'd been married again by that time. He'd gotten so fat he finally had his stomach stapled and that wasn't good for him. Um, and then his second wife left him right at that time. He just retired, didn't have much money anymore. He'd blown his money. So that fall, after that much prayer going up for him, his diabetes infection kicked in. He had to have a leg amputated. And finally, <laughs> divorced again, no money, laying in a hospital, he surrendered to Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> At the right time, whenever that time is. Now, the, the eight years since then were up and down. Alan had a lot of habits. He had a lot of stuff. He struggled. He went up and he went down. But my news to you today is God never fails. The memorial service was a time of tears but a time of great joy. For the last year and a half, my brother found a church in Denver he loved, loved the pastor, loved the people. He was there three times a week, their Bible study groups, their Sabbath. Still had struggles. He'd talk to me, we'd talk about it. But that last week, he was at the Bible study. He'd gone to a diabetes recovery, cleaned his refrigerator out of everything. He said, I cleaned my refrigerator out of all the junk food, nothing was left. But then Friday night, he went to the first night of Boonstra's evangelistic meeting. A year before, they'd had an evangelistic meeting with Boonstra, and he was involved and happy and joyful, giving away stuff, witnessing. But he had his ups and downs, and that Friday night, they made a call. Do you want to be with Jesus in heaven? And he wrote a big yes on his card. His daughter's the one that brought him back all that time. And two hours later, he was dead. My last prayers for the last few years was, God, save him. Before the end, save him. You know all the mess. You know all the habits. Can you get him there? But I believe Jesus is going to save us any way he can. He will do whatever he can to get us there. And our kids and our grandkids 
And those loved ones you know that are so hooked in habits and so hooked in other things, don't give up. Prayer makes a massive difference in their lives. Open the blind eyes. Set the captives free. All the promises they claim. God will work in a mighty way. Can't force anybody to be saved, but he sure can make them miserable. And I thank God. My parents are going to see my sister and my brother made it before the end and will be there with us, I believe. So praise God. I just want to share that with you. Prayer is not just something we've got to do. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a love relationship. He's longing to hear us just say whatever we say and our joys and fears and all that. But it, it's also the most powerful thing in the universe. In your statements, we could read a bunch of them in your sheet, but it says, at the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. It's the one thing that his whole host trembles about. So pray more. Talk to him more. Plead for your loved ones. Janet, come and share. Janet's got a testimony that is, is so beautiful, powerful, affects people all over the world. We were at a prayer conference a few years ago, and a lady there, she was, I think, like 82, wanted to be baptized there. She'd been out of the church since a teenager, and I don't know, somebody invited her to come to the prayer conference. And um, are her parents going to be surprised come the resurrection morning? <laughs> But I had a guy in his late 70s one place come up to me, and he said, my mom lived to be, he was either 102 or 105. I think it was 102. And he said, you know why she lived so long? And I said, no, why? He said, because she had to pray for me. <laughs> he did not come back into the church till he was in his early 70s or so. But everywhere we go, I, a lady that was uh, 46 at the and um, somebody in their 50s, just different people have said, our parents are going to be so surprised come the resurrection morning. Now, we don't want that. We, we want it, you know, our kids to, to be now. But I just want to give you courage if you're worried about your kids and they're getting older. God's still in the business of saving. He's doing it. Um, I had something. I need you to pray for a moment. Lord, help me. I, I need you, God, and I just, it's getting late. I just pray for everyone here, for the children, for you to have your hand over us all, and, and Lord, that you could just help me not to say more than I should. I just plead the blood of Jesus over us. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I had something terrible happen to me many years ago now. Jerry tells me don't tell people how many years, but I turned 40, and it was terrible because I thought it was no big deal. But I showed up at somebody's house. A friend said, take this to so-and-so's house. I show up, and here's a room, a house full of people, all dressed like the 50s. I couldn't figure out what's wrong with these people. And it was a black balloon, black crepe papers, uh, signs mourning my death. And they, they made a, a birthday cake that said, Janet Page, youth has died. And it was like a tombstone, gravestone. The two, the, and the worst pictures they could find of me, which isn't hard to do, blown up all over the room. And they gave me gifts like enemas and walkers and canes and diapers, all kinds of things, and false teeth. Anyway, I don't know how it is for you. A lot of you are young, but those of you who are older, uh, w when I was young as a child, it seemed like it took so long for anything to happen. Ah. Oh. Couldn't wait for Christmas to get to open my gift. I couldn't. Yes, I forgot that part. Thank you for putting that up. They, they, after this birthday party, the next morning at the house, 
I kept hearing cars honking their horn. Now, we lived on a country road. And I looked out to see, why are they all honking? And there was a, a sign in the yard, but I couldn't read it. So I went outside to look at it, to read it. And that's what it said. Janet Page is over the hill, so everybody was honking. Well, this little guy, determined little guy, they had told him, don't let your mommy take that sign down. So he threw his body in front of it and said, mommy, you can't touch the sign. And I said, okay. Well, fortunately, the rain started coming, and it took the sign down. And so Zach goes out to the garage to find a hammer. He's going to get the sign back up on the, on the wooden post. But he couldn't get it up. It wouldn't. And he said, Mommy, will you help me? I said, no. <laughs> I'm so thankful what God's done in Zach's life. But it, it was there when he was little, though it took a while to show up. But as a little guy, he was so determined to do his job. He stood in the rain holding the sign so everybody could see what had happened to his mommy because all the people had told him, you do this. And so he held the sign up. Isn't he adorable? (laughs) That's Zach. That's your pastor, Pastor Zach. Ah, such good memories. He's still adorable, but anyway. So, but as a little child, you know, I couldn't wait for Christmas. It took so long. I couldn't wait for the day I got to go to school. It, it took so long. Then I couldn't wait for school to get out because it took so long for vacation. And then for the day I got to drive or the day I finally got married, everything took so long. And then all of a sudden, I'm in my 30s realizing, whoa, life has gone fast. You know, it's been so quick to my, my 30s. I know. Pretty soon I'll be 40 and then 60 and then 80. Whoa, life is going so fast. What really matters? I mean, I don't know how it is for you, but it seems like the older you get, the faster life is going. You feel like you're on a steam engine that won't stop, is going faster and faster and faster. And I started thinking in my 30s, you know, I just became overwhelmed. There's so many things to do, good things that need to be done. I can't do them all. And I started thinking, what really matters? What that I do today is going to make a difference in my son's lives. What that I do today is going to make a difference in my neighbor's lives, my church members' lives. And as I thought about it, what came to my mind was John 17.3. And you know that verse well in John 17.3. It says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The only thing that really matters, the only thing that will make a difference in my children's lives, in my neighbor's lives, is if I know Jesus Christ. I had learned when I was 17 years old from a Bible teacher that I needed to spend, he said it in class, that we need to spend time with God every day. And I thought, huh? Nobody talked about spending time with God when I was young. They talked about what I shouldn't do and what I should do, but not spend time with God. And I was a busy student. And so I was naive enough, I raised my hand and I said, why? And he said, well, if you don't spend time with God every day, you won't know him. And if you don't know him, you won't love him. And if you don't love him, you're going to walk away from him. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. So I went up after class and I said, well, just, just how, do you, how do you spend this time with God? And the teacher said, well, there's no set way to do it. Just read your Bible some and pray. And I'm thinking, oh, that's boring. 
read your Bible and pray. But I didn't say it out loud because I wanted to keep a good grade in the class. And so I, I told him, well, well, thank you. I said, how long do I need to pray? Because that's really boring. And in, I didn't say that to him. But he said, well, maybe try 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, 30 minutes of praying? Huh. But I said, thank you. And I just started to walk away. And as I'm walking away, he said, Janet, do you have trouble getting up in the morning? I said, oh, yes, I love to sleep. He said, well, I have a Bible verse that you can claim for God to wake you up in the morning. And I started laughing. I, you know, uh, God's going to wake me up in the morning. There's a Bible verse that powerful. Even my parents can't get me out of bed in the morning. I didn't believe him. And, but I didn't say anything because I wanted to keep my A in the class. And so I said to him, well, what's the Bible verse? So he told me the Bible verse. And do you know that it really works? God will really get you up in the morning. And my, um, one time I was sharing this, my older son leaned over to his friends and said, don't claim that verse because God will get you up and it'll be early. And it is so true. In fact, I used to argue with God. I can't get up this early. If everybody says I need eight, nine hours to sleep a day, and if I get up this early, I'll have a headache and I'll be irritable. And, but I finally gave it up and started getting up when God wanted me to because he kept trying to wake me up. And I, but I told God, I'm going to get up when you want me to. But if I have a headache and I'm irritable, I'm going to tell everybody it's your fault. <laughs> but do you know what's happened? The more I get up when God wants me to get up, I have way less headaches. I'm way less irritable. My family will vouch for that. That it really makes a difference. And so I started as a young teenager. I was like 17. And, but I wanted to be sure I did this right because I thought I had to do it a certain way. And I got out a clock because I wanted to be sure I prayed for that 30 minutes. And so I, start, I read my Bible some and then I started praying. And I prayed everything I could think of. Then I looked at the clock to see how much time I had left. Only five minutes had gone by. I had 25 more minutes to pray yet. I thought, what am I going to do with this time? I didn't know how to do it. But one thing I found about God, the more if we will just spend that time with him, he will show us how to spend the time with him. For each one of us, it may look different. But God is desperate, desperate for a people who will just sit still before him and let him minister to their hearts through his word. And he will show us how to pray. And when you start praying what God wants you to pray, you're going to see amazing things happen. And so I started doing that. And, but then I got into college, I got busy, and I forgot about spending time with God until exam week. And then it was, oh God, if you'll help me pass my exams, I promise I, I'm going to start spending time with you every day. And, and God would help me pass my exams. And so I would try to keep my promise and spend that time with him every day. But pretty soon I'd fall out of it, I'd get busy, and forget until next exam week. And it was, oh God, if you'll help me pass my exams. I'm going to spend time with you every day. I went all the way through college like this. But I thought, once you're done with college, all you do is work a full-time job. So you have lots of time to know God. It's, you know, you only work 10 hours a day. It's 24 hours in a day. I was so busy. There was no time. And then I got married. And, and later, I quit my job because we were have a, had a baby coming. And I thought, now I'm going to stay home with this little baby. I'm going to have so much time to know God. My mother failed to tell me it's a 24-hour day taking care of a baby. Watch out, Leah. 
I'm just warning you who haven't had babies yet. It is a 24-hour day taking care of a baby, and I was so busy. And on top of that, if you're a pastor's wife, everybody's got a volunteer project for you to do. And it was, Lord, Lord, I don't have time for you this morning, but I've got to help with a vacation Bible school. God, I don't have time for you this morning. I've got to help cook up, cut up the vegetables for the cooking school. Lord, I'm driving down the highway going, God, isn't it exciting? Michelle wants Bible studies. I'm headed to her house right now to give her a Bible study. Isn't it great, God? I'm sorry, God, I haven't had time for you lately. But I'm doing your work. I'm doing your work, God. And I get into my 30s and I realize I know about God. I know all the beliefs, but I don't know God. I don't have that deep, intimate relationship with God. And I thought, it's been so fast in my 30s. Pretty soon I'll be 40 and then 60, 80. i got to start doing this now before it gets much later. And Jesus could come or I could die tomorrow. I've got to do this. So I started once again trying to do this. I would put my finger on the promise, which, by the way, do you want to know what the promise is? I may have shared that before here, but it's Isaiah 50, verse 4, which says... The, the last part of it says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear is the learned. Now, this is a scripture about Jesus. But, he, but we, it's a scripture that we can use for God to wake us up in the morning. It really works. And I didn't notice till uh, some time later, the first part tells why God wants to wake us up. You read the first part, it says, The Lord God, this is Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. You see, God wants to wake us up. He wants to spend that time with us, to comfort us, to love us, to instruct us. And then he will lead us to people throughout the the day, the week, People he wants us to comfort and love. You, wanna, are you, you may be wondering, what is my ministry? How can I witness to people? How can I serve God? The best way to do that is to spend time with Jesus every day. Because out of that time with Jesus, God will then use you. He will put his words in your mouth to share and help others in the ways he wants you to. It may be on the phone. It may be in an email you send. It may be making somebody's bed, just doing something for somebody. God will lead in all of that. And so I, I started once again, putting my finger on the promise. God would, I said, God, you got to kick me out of bed. It's so hard for me to get up. And God would. He has amazing ways. He can get you up. And I would then start with uh, Praise. I was kind of like praying through the sanctuary where in Psalm 100 it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so I started with thanksgiving and then praise. And then uh, you'd come to the labor where it's a time of confession. So I would confess. And I would confess everything I could think of. But there was this one thought that would come to my mind and I would think, no, no, that's not sin. No. Now, I just have an over-guilty conscience. I'm melancholy. I know that's not sin. But every time I'd spend this time with Jesus, the same thought would keep coming to my mind. And God was convicting me, it's sin. You need to deal with it. I finally said to God one day, I can't deal with it. 
It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't think Jesus could if he were here and had this problem. Let's just forget about it and shove it to the side. And I thought I could do that with God. I thought I could forget about the sin problem and go on having a relationship with God. But where the Bible had become interesting to me and I was enjoying praying, suddenly after a few weeks or so, it all became dry to me again. The the Bible wasn't interesting. And when I prayed, I didn't feel like my prayers were going higher than the ceiling. And I, I got into this vicious cycle of depression. I was depressed all the time. And I thought, you know, I'm melancholy. I'm supposed to be depressed. And, and I just, I really did not think Jesus could save me. People would say, believe, believe what it says in Romans. Jesus died for you. And I just, I could, I thought I was too big a sinner that Jesus couldn't save me. And I just gave up. And, and, and I started, Jerry and I had started having marriage problems. Jerry didn't know that, but, but I did. And, and just nothing in my life was good. But I, I kept doing what I needed to do with my kids, having family worship with them and, and taking them to church and doing what I needed to do at church. But inside of me, I thought I was gone. Spiritually, I, I didn't even want to live anymore. I wanted to die. And at the time, this was the worst in my life. They asked Jerry to be the conference president. And it was right ahead of camp meeting. And at, at camp meeting, that first Sabbath, that first weekend, people are coming up to me saying, congratulations, how does it feel to be the first lady? I hate that kind of talk. And I would, I would say to them, I wash his clothes the same way I always have. Nothing's changed. You know, just basically leave me alone, but I didn't say that. And I just tried to hide away, and Jerry would say, no, you need to get out and meet the people. And so I tried. I didn't like it. And, but that last weekend of that camp meeting, the last Sabbath, people started saying something different. They would come up to me, and they started saying, we attended a seminar this week on the Holy Spirit. And the speaker taught us how important it is that we pray every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pray it throughout the day. And to claim the promises for the Holy Spirit. But also the speaker got us to commit to pray for you and Jerry as our new leaders and for the Holy Spirit in your lives. And I look at him and I say, thank you. But inside I'm thinking, big deal. What good is that going to do? My life's a mess. I don't even want to live. You know, my marriage is a mess. I don't want to live. Person after person kept coming up and saying, we've committed to pray for you and Jerry, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. They even chose a certain time every day to do this. And I looked down and I'd say, thank you, I appreciate it, and walked off. I didn't think any more about it, camp meeting ends. But then, for the next two years, we'd be in a different church almost every Sabbath because of Jerry's work as the conference president. And somebody in those different churches would come up to me and say, we're praying for you and Jerry. We're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. When our Bible study prayer groups meet, we pray for you and Jerry. And I didn't think anything of it. I just say, thank you. You know, what good does prayer do? I, you know, my prayers don't work. Now remember, this all happened after the story I shared last night. And... I didn't think much about it, but I'm telling you, two years later of these people praying for me, God started moving on me in a powerful way, just turned my life upside down. 
and totally changed me. We serve a powerful God that is longing to do great things in our lives, in people's lives around us, if we will pray, if we won't give up and keep claiming his promises and praying. And i got to share how he changed me, though. It won't take too long. It was Jerry. Jerry gets this bright idea that they need to have a women's retreat in our conference. Now, this was at a time when hardly anybody was doing women's retreats. But first, Jerry worked it out for the pastor's wives to get together to have a spiritual retreat. And he wanted me to go to it. I didn't want to go to it. But I did go finally, and I dragged my little boy, Zach, to it. And fortunately, Zach was an active little toddler at the time, and and, um, they kicked me out. The speaker kicked me out. And so I, yes, I get to go home. And so I didn't have to stay. But then it turned out to be such a blessing for all these pastor's wives that Jerry said, we need this for all the women in our conference. But he kind of forgot about it. But then suddenly this time when people were praying for me, Jerry gets this burden again, we need to have a women's retreat. And he says to me, Janet, don't you think, and we had a brochure there, one happy in another conference, and he says, don't you think we need a women's retreat? I said, I don't know. I've never been to one. I don't know what they do. And he said, well, don't you think they need spiritual revival and conversion? I said, well, yeah, they need that. They need to be converted. He said, good, you go plan it. I said, me? I can't do that kind of thing. He said, Janet, you just said they need it. I said, but I can't do that. He said, well, won't you at least pray about it and see if God wants you to? Talk about a guilt trip, tell you to pray about it. So I thought for a moment, and then I said, okay, Jerry, I'll pray about it. Because I knew I could come back in a few days and say, Jerry, the Lord has told me not to do this. Because God knew I couldn't do that kind of thing. And, but I wasn't praying at that time. See, I, I gave it up again. I was so discouraged and didn't think there was any hope for me. So I quit spending time with God because my prayers weren't being answered and I just felt lost. And so I wasn't praying. Well, Jerry comes home. It was about three days later. He, and that evening when he came home from the office, he's all excited saying it's been voted by whoever votes things at a conference office. I've yet to figure it out that I'm to do the women's retreat. And I said, Jerry, how could you go and get them to vote for me to do this women's retreat? I never told you I would do it. He says, well, I was sure that when you prayed about it, God would tell you to do it. So I felt like I had to do this. My name's on the line. Some unknown group of people at the office had voted for me to do this. I had to do this women's retreat. Well, I knew enough to get a speaker. And I was praying about who to get, but... And I lined up a person, but, but, but what else do you do at a women's retreat? I didn't know. And that caused me, pushed me into spending time again with God every day, putting my finger on the promise again, saying, God, you got to kick me out of bed. Now, that is a poor motive for seeking God. I was doing it because I wanted God to bless me with his women's retreat. I didn't want to be a failure. I wanted to be successful. That's a poor motive for seeking God, Right? But you know what I learned about God? It does not matter what your reason is for seeking him, to spend time with him. God is desperate to spend time with each one of us. He will take you no matter what your reason is, if you will just spend that time with him. And I started going with, to my, with my Bible to God, and I said, God, I'm going to give you 60 minutes every day. I said, but this book is boring. Would you please make it interesting? 
Would you please show me that you love me? Would you help me to love you? Would you help me to love my husband? God, speak to me. And Lord, show me what to do with this women's retreat because I don't know what to do. And I was amazed at what started happening. It took several weeks before it really became meaningful. But I'll never forget the morning where I chose to spend time with God over everything I really love to do. And God just started pouring out his grace and speaking to me through the Bible in a way I'm not sure I'd ever experienced before. It was so, such a sense of his love and his presence and things in the Bible. I used to read these, these scriptures about the righteous and all, and I would think, I'm not righteous. I'm a big sinner. There's no way God can save me. But God started showing me, I am the righteous. You are the righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When God the Father looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus' perfect life, not Janet's sinfulness, not your sinfulness. We serve a powerful God that loves us so much. Well, that women's retreat, I was scared to death still. I was doubting that God was showing me what to do. And I go to Jerry. I said, Jerry, Jerry, this thing's going to be a big failure. It's going to be a big mess. And I said, and it's going to make you look bad because you're the one who wanted it. Jerry says, Janet, just go do it. Do it. So I walked out of there thinking, just go do it. It's easy for him to say, I'm the one that's got to do this. And, And as I'm walking out thinking this, what came into my mind was pray. Pray for God to send another woman for you to pray with uh, once a week for the women's retreat. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And I started to pray that. There was one minor little thing I forgot. That was I was scared to death to pray out loud with anyone. You know how it is in church? The pastors will say, now let's divide up in threes and fours and pray together. I would be so scared. I'd say, excuse me, i got to go to the restroom. Or pinch the baby, get him crying. Do something so you get out of the room. Because you know how it is. People will pray these beautiful, elegant prayers. And I stumble all over my words. I can't pray like that. Or they all pray a long prayer. And by the time they get around to me, there's nothing left in the world to pray for. Everything's been covered. But you know what I've learned about God? It's okay. In fact, God wants us to pray about the same thing. God wants to pray it through our personality. He wants to pray through us and and agree together about the same things. It's okay. And it's okay that I stumble all over my words. It's okay I can't pray the elegant prayers that you pray. Because none of our prayers, all of our prayers need the Holy Spirit to make them meaningful before the throne. But forgetting all that, I'm praying for God to send somebody. But, you know, nobody was registering to come to the retreat. I thought, oh, it's because they don't like me. Nobody's coming. And I started praying, Lord, please get them to come. Well, then they did start registering. In fact, we filled up. I had so many women come, and I thought, what am I going to do with them? I didn't know it was going to be a big mess. Well, one, three weeks had gone by, and I was at the point where I was hardly eating any food. I was so nervous and upset. My phone rings. And I answered it, and it was somebody who introduced themselves because I didn't know them that well. And then they said, this may sound strange, Janet, but I feel like God wanted me to call you and ask if you wouldn't want to meet once a week to pray for your women's retreat. I can't tell you the peace that came over me, that flooded through me, because I then knew God wants this retreat because he sent someone to pray with me once a week. Not just Jerry wanted it, but God wanted me to do it. 
So we started to meet once a week to pray together for the women's retreat. She got some other women to join. Do you know what happens when you commit yourself to meet once a week with someone else to pray or with a group? You know what happens? You'll get busier than you've ever been. Not only busy, but troubles will start happening, even sickness. Satan is scared because he knows the power there is when we pray together. It's good to pray alone. We need to do that. But we need to come together and pray with someone else or a group because that's where more power is unleashed. And so when I had such a peace, we started meeting, but I was got, had so many things to do and things would happen. I thought, I can't go meet. I've got all this work to do. I'm not going to be able to get all my work done. But I knew I had to go meet with them because God had provided them. So with gritted teeth, I would go pray with them. But then when we'd pray, I would pray, Oh, Lord, convert these women. Bring a revival, God. They need conversion. And one of the times I'm praying this, suddenly I felt like God was yelling in my mind. Not that I hear voices, but just a loud thought. And it was, Janet, if you want me to help these women, let's work on your life first. And I thought, Oh, that's embarrassing. And that hurts. I I let him work on you, not me. And I opened my eyes because I was so embarrassed, but these women were all like this. So I knew they hadn't heard. So I'm saying, okay, God, I'll deal with it later, later. You see, God was after me to deal with the problem that he'd been after me before. And I refused to. Well, now God was at me again. I thought, you know, I'd forgotten about it. Why hadn't God forgotten? But he reminded me of it again. Well, then I told him I'd deal with it, but I didn't. I kept putting it off. And then Jerry wanted me to go to a prayer conference with him. It was actually the first one that there ever was in, in the Adventist church. And I went. I didn't want to go. I said, I'm too busy. He said, no, you need to come. I go, and I loved it. It was so good. Because like in a room like we did last night, they'd have these short sentence prayers. Somebody would start up a song. We'd sing together. It was just beautiful. And, um, but Jerry wasn't enjoying it. I was really liking it. But God was, you know, waking me up every morning early. And he did this one morning. It was still dark. And I thought, well, how am I going to spend time with God? Because this was before cell phones. And I didn't want to wake Jerry up. Because he'd been kind of acting strange lately. And I wanted him to sleep. And so I, I go into the bathroom to spend this time with God. But I'm in there trying to, with my Bible. And I don't sense God's presence. I don't sense him speaking to me through the Bible. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm in the bathroom by the toilet. But then I thought, no, God doesn't care about that. And I said, God what's wrong? I don't sense you speaking to me through the Bible. I don't sense your presence. And just this thought came into my mind, go call this person now. You see, God had been after me before that I needed to make things right with someone that I had a bitterness, a resentment towards. And I had said, I can't do that. It's too hard. Forget about it. And I thought I could do that with God. But now God's after me again. I need to deal with this. I was so afraid of losing what I was having with God. Because you see, the depression had gone. I was filled with joy now. I was enjoying spending time with God. I sensed that he loved me. I felt assured of my salvation. I did not want to lose that. Plus, I was afraid he wouldn't bless my women's retreat. And it gave me the motivation to get up and go call this person. Now, I went outside the motel because I didn't want Jerry to hear, even though Jerry knew how bad this person had treated me. He knew, and Jerry had always sympathized with me. He knew how bad it had been. 
but I didn't want him to hear because it's embarrassing to do it in front of someone. So I go down the hall to find a phone. And as I'm walking, I'm just wringing my hands going, God, I hate this person. I don't know how I'm going to do this. The Holy Spirit's got to do it through me because I can't. And then I called him, hoping they wouldn't be home, but I woke him up. And just with a prayer, I jumped in to asking their forgiveness. And as I did, God started bringing to my mind very specific things I needed to ask forgiveness for. And, and as the thought came into my mind, I'm shocked. I didn't realize I did this. But he helped me to remember I did do it. And so I asked her forgiveness for it. As soon as I did that, another thought came in my mind. So I named it, and I asked forgiveness for it. As soon as I did that, another one came in my mind. So I named it and asked forgiveness for that and started praying, God, let it stop. This is embarrassing. Finally, it did stop. Now, in asking this person's forgiveness, I knew they would never think they did anything to me, and they had done a lot of mean things to me. I knew they would never ask my forgiveness, but you know, it didn't matter anymore. My humbling myself, asking their forgiveness, I felt like a wave of water just washed through me, taking away the bitterness and the resentment, and in its place I felt compassion and love for this person. It was such a difference. And... quickly tell you my side of the story. Uh, I'm sitting in the prayer conference and I'm not enjoying it. Why not? Because I'm proud. And the men up front were saying, we need to be more spiritual. You know, we need to pray more. We need to do this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't need anybody telling me to be more spiritual. I'm a very spiritual guy. We have prayer times in our ministers' meetings and I just couldn't enjoy it. So while I'm sitting there this afternoon, I'm thinking, you know, God, and Janet, you know, she's so spiritual now. She gets up earlier than I do in the mornings. Notice that, pride again. Uh, she's getting up earlier than me and all this stuff. And, and you know, if she's so spiritual, Lord, why can't she get along with this person? Yeah. That was the afternoon before God made her go to the phone and get that cleared up. So when she came back and told me what God had done through her, um, I said, okay, God, I hear you <laughs> speaking to me. And, and through their prayers and this whole experience, some of us men were able to start growing too and realizing how much we needed a new experience in Jesus as well. One principle, though, whenever somebody really starts growing fast in Jesus, accelerating in their spiritual life, count on it. Satan will build up walls of resistance around them somehow. Try to stop it. A loved one, somebody else, try to push them back. It happens every time. Remember Charlie Grable. I had no idea that Jerry had prayed that. And we were at the prayer conference all day. We came back in the afternoon to eat. And Jerry says, I don't want to go back to the prayer conference. I've had, I'm tired of meetings. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to go back. I'm enjoying it. But then I felt like I should stay with, there with Jerry. Then this urge came over me, share with Jerry what happened on the phone this morning. So I did. And as I shared with him what happened, I could just sense this emotional wall coming down in Jerry. And that's when he shares with me how he'd prayed the day before. If Janet's so spiritual, getting up so early in the morning, how come she has trouble with so-and-so? I was shocked. He'd always been on my side. How could he pray that? But it made me realize God had really gotten me to do this. God, I don't know how it is with you, but I doubt all the time. Did God tell me to do this? Should I do it or not? But I'm sitting there thinking, God is really personal, really intimate. God got me to do this. And as I'm doing that, suddenly I have this urge come over me. You need to do something else. You know the verse in Matthew 23, 12? It's also in Luke 14, but it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Well, I thought that verse isn't for me. I'm not doing that. No way. I am not going to be anybody's doormat. And I refused. God had been after me. I needed to ask Jerry's forgiveness for several things. And I tell God, no way. I'm not doing that. And, but that night, that afternoon, God started working on me. You need to now talk to Jerry. And so I did. But, you know, I had told God, I don't want to do this. If I ask Jerry's forgiveness for these things, the next time we have an argument, he'll just hold it over my head and remind me of what I asked forgiveness for. So I'm not going to do this. But that night, because of what happened on the phone that morning with that person, it gave me now the courage and motivation that I needed to talk to Jerry. And so I did. And do you know what happened? Just what God's word says. For years, I tried to exalt myself, and all that would happen was I'd be humiliated, humbled. But now, as I humbled myself, I was exalted. Jerry and I were just drawn close together. We cannot go wrong in obeying God's word. I'm sorry it took me so long to realize that. And I have to tell you, the women's retreat, God blessed so much. We had miracles after miracles happening there. And I know it's because of all the prayer that went up, consistent every week, people praying together for it, endearing it, prayer going on. We had a woman that was physically healed. And her doctor, she came home telling her doctor, I've been healed. And he says, no, you haven't. There's no such thing. You keep taking your medication. You keep coming to see me for for tests. And so she kept coming to see him, but she didn't take the medication. I don't know that that was a good idea. But two years later, the doctor tells her, I don't know what went on at that women's retreat, but you were healed. He didn't even, you know, believe in God. And, but the greater miracles were the changes in people's lives. I had husbands calling me or writing me saying, thank you, thank you for doing the women's retreat. My marriage has been healed. Would you come and do an area women's retreat? And I would tell them, look, it's not the speaker. It's not the women's retreat. It's the prayer. If you men will get together and pray for your marriages, pray for God to change you, God will heal your marriages. And we started to see a revival happening in our conference. Uh, Jerry became burdened that we needed more prayer, started calling for it more in the conference, and, and we just saw so many things happen. But I need to close. Would you just bow your heads with me as we close? And I want you to think about it. You know, spending that time with God reminds me of Christmas time. When my son, Zach, is a little guy, come home from school, he'd made a gift for me. He'd obviously wrapped it himself, this strange-looking package. And he'd run into the kitchen and he'd say, Mommy, 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 can you guess what I made you? And I'd take it, I'd shake it, I'd try to guess. And then I'd say, put it out in the living room. So he'd put it out, but he'd say, how long till Christmas? I'd tell him how many days. Pretty soon he'd have it back out again. And he'd go, mommy, mommy, can you guess what I made you for Christmas? How long till Christmas, mommy? He could not wait for Christmas for me to open this gift to see how hard he'd work to make something for me because he loved me. That's the way it is with God in the mornings. God is longing for, or sometime during the day, for us to spend time with him. He's longing for a people that will sit still and let him speak to us through his word. He's hungering for that. How can we not have time for God? How can we be so busy that we don't have time for the creator of the universes that wants to spend time with us? We'd like to just take a moment of prayer. This is just a uh, silent prayer. Just If you bow your heads, it's just between you and God. And I'll just lead you through it. 
Lord, as we, we pray right now, we just, again, plead the blood of Jesus over every sin in this room. And Father, we just want to worship you as our creator, our redeemer, the lover of our souls. You are an amazing, wonderful God. And Father, right now, we ask that, only, that we'd only hear your thoughts, your words to, coming to us. Now, if you as the audience would right now, would you just privately ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life that's blocking the way of having a deeper experience with you? If you would, just pray that right now and ask God. If he reveals something, just confess it privately as sin, accept his forgiveness, thank him for forgiveness, and then I'll lead on after that. Another thing you may want to ask God is say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's blocking the way of being more filled with your Holy Spirit to reach this world? Just ask him. And if he reveals something, be sure and thank him for forgiveness. And then you want to ask for a deeper repentance because that is also a gift from God. We can't even repent. Ask God to give you that gift and claim 1 John 1, 9. You know, be open and honest with God. Maybe it's a sin that you love to do, but you know it's separating you from God. It's destroying you. Tell God that, but ask him to give you a hatred for that sin. That's Genesis 3.15, that he will give us a hatred for sin. So pray that. And then pray 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the one who will do it. We just need to keep coming to him and confessing. Just thank him for forgiveness. You may not feel forgiven. You may not feel like you have a hatred for that sin, but thank him that he has done it. Step out in faith. Thank him for that deeper repentance. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for you letting your son Jesus come and die for us. Lord, let it come alive to us again, just what Jesus did for us, what he went through for us. Lord, help us to understand that we walk in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us, for changing our lives, for filling us, Father, with your hope and your faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.